Have you ever had somebody in your life that's sort of like a moral compass? That whenever you're going astray, they help you to head north. I have such a friend. That's Brent Stark. I've been working on his show, The Most Precious Commodity, for two seasons. His shows is sort of like a, a campfire setting. Picture a campfire and that you are being told an incredible story. So when you hear this, I'm going to play for you an episode called Houses of Grace. Here's what I want you to do when you're, when you're hearing this episode. Be in a quiet place with your headphones on with zero distractions. All right, can you do that for me? Great. And listen carefully to how Brent explains this historical story. There's some fictional aspects to it, but the heart of the story is real. Also, after you do that, please listen to all of his episodes. He has two seasons. These are two seasons that I've produced. He also has a book out, two books in fact, that are based on his podcast. As for my podcast, I'm going to be releasing season five later on this year, but I need to take a break to produce all of the episodes and to work with the incredible voice talents. You won't be hearing me for a while. So in the meantime, remember to spread the word about this show. And here is Houses of Grace by Brent Stark. You may hear my voice in, in this track here and there. And also, remember to reach out to me at Poetic Earthling on Twitter. Now here's Brent. Time, time, what is time? Swiss manufactured, French hoarded, Italian squandered, Americans say it is money, Hindus say it does not exist. You know what I see? Hello everyone, this is Brent Stark, and I'd like to welcome you to the most precious commodity podcast, which is a podcast of all the stories that I've written over the last year, with the theme being... Time! What do we do with the time we've been given? Why does it always seem to go so fast? Slow down! And what happens to those of which time has forgotten? And finally, what happens when time runs out? Well, my story this time is called Houses of Grace. I wrote it a few weeks ago. It's, it's a historical fiction piece, and I hope you enjoy it. I'm going to read it and share with you a little bit more about the story and then talk to you about what comes up next time. My imprisoned spirit lay, fest bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. It felt like my heart was beating out of my chest when I heard the news. Home. We were going home. 
not permanently, but for a visit. I had dreamt about this day every night since we left a few months ago. Yet under the veil of darkness, when all I could hear was the song of the cicadas and the soft wind blowing through the trees, that's when I encountered doubt. It was the kind of doubt that you try to push away into the deep recesses of your brain in hopes that that act would somehow make it disappear, but it never did. Instead, it only made it worse. A festering disbelief slowly eating away at my soul. I wanted to believe that we would be able to go home, but I didn't believe it. I was a fraud, a pretender, nothing but a liar who couldn't escape my shame of unbelief. I was a prisoner of circumstances, my spirit bound in chains, and I had no faith that I would get out, let alone be able to go back home. None of my family or friends felt the same way that I did. At least they never let on. For all I knew, they struggled with the same uncertainties that I did and lied as well. Maybe we were all a tribe of deceivers. I guess most wouldn't blame us considering the events surrounding our departure. But it didn't make it any easier. How I longed to go home, to find that peace I desired. It was when I contemplated giving up, resigning myself to a life of doubt and misery, that the Lord bestowed me a hymn that lifted my spirit and helped erase my doubt. I sang it every morning when I arose and every night when the shadows fell. I didn't know if I would be able to ever go home again. My Lord loved me enough to die for me so I could gain a new home. And that would be good enough. What amazing love. You will be one of the many going home. We need you to pick up some I of must your admit left behind. And I didn't even hear the last part of what was said. As soon as I heard going home, my heart started thumping. And the corners of my lips, they, they lifted into a seldom seen smile. My mind immediately jumped to daydreaming about home no longer preoccupied with doubt and despair. Would the streams be as blue as I remember? Would the majestic hills still appear to reach up and touch the face of God? Would our homes be intact, physical manifestations of our time there? Or would they be memories existing only in our reflections? Would it be possible to stay there permanently again? Maybe we wait. I had to stop. I was getting ahead of myself, longing for somewhere to be the same as it was when I left. Perhaps it would be different, a not-so-subtle reminder of what we lost. Perhaps. No, no, wait, I need to stop. Amazing love. The hymn. My lifeline when the questions got to be too much. It will be okay no matter what we find. Homecoming day had finally arrived. 
90 of us would be departing to gather necessities from our old home and transport them to our new one. Should be an easy job, leaving plenty of time to reconnect to the scenery that was once our dwelling. I was so excited that I could barely keep a thought in my head. Instead, I was lost in my mind, reflecting on our past and hoping for a brighter future. It wasn't until we started the 125 mile trek that I became fully present, able to turn off my perpetual stream of nostalgia and concentrate on the task at hand. We were walking toward the great unknown. I smiled as I watched the young children splash in a tiny creek bed, the water barely reaching the top of their ankles. They were chasing each other and laughing as they fell face first into the rippling stream. (laughs) I'm pretty sure they meant to do that. Several yards beyond the creek was a bluff covered with small trees and stumps and roots set up for children to climb. I observed several older children scaling their way to the top by grabbing what they could find to hoist themselves up in the hopes of reaching the pinnacle. When the children got tired, They rested on roots and tree stumps. And when they regained their energy, they started to climb again. Not one child seemed to have a care in the world. They lived in the present, free from worry and doubt. I wondered what age it would be when the chains of doubt and worry would quell those children's zest for life. The children continued playing as we hiked the small trail to our hometown. It was a small path weaving in and out of the trees, created by deer and trampled by man. It was the same path we took when we left, yet the circumstances were completely different now. There were no tears, no yelling, no threats, only the playful sounds of the children and the whispering enthusiasm of the adults. Finally, the trees started to part. The path widened as more light began to filter down from the sky. We were almost home. I could feel it. Cries and cheers erupted from the 90 strong. At long last, we had reached our home. And it looked the same, other than some overgrowth of weeds. The dwellings, the meeting places, the church, the gardens were all intact. Barely touched since the British stipulated that we needed to leave. Get out of here! It turns out that we were on a mission to get more than just our belongings. I guess I missed that part when we were told we were going home. Unfortunately, food was getting scarce in our new town and it was more desperate than I realized. Our mission was a little more time sensitive than just gathering our clothes and visiting our former land. It was a survival mission. It was necessary for the continued existence of our people. And I wondered why they didn't just 
let us move back to save on rations. That seemed like a logical solution, but I didn't dare bring it up. The British already thought we were aiding the Colonials. I didn't want to give them any more fodder and risk something worse than being exiled from home. We, 90 men, women and children, began our work gathering the crops that had survived. Every so often I would take a break and stretch and gaze upon this beautiful land that God had given us. Our home nestled in a small valley at the foot of the Appalachian Mountains was perfect. Rustling streams ran down the foothills providing water and a river flowed down the middle of our town giving us access to trade routes. Deer, foxes, coyotes, and turkeys all roamed our countryside, providing plenty of meat and skins when the weather turned frigid. Honestly, I probably- All of you, get down! Hands behind your heads! Face down, do it now! We won't tell you again! My stretching stopped. My body tensed as I dropped to my knees and lay in the soft garden dirt. What was happening? Why were they so angry? I surveyed the land. I was not the only one down. 90 men, women, and children were all lying prostrate on the ground that we once called home. We know it was you who mercilessly murdered and kidnapped our men in Western Pennsylvania. You will pay for your sins, and you will pay mightily. I didn't understand. Our tribe did not do this. We had been living over 200 miles away under the guard of British soldiers for suspicion of aiding the Colonials. And now, the Colonials were accusing us of murdering them? We were pacifists, not taking any side except the side of our Lord. We hadn't aided either army. Yet now we were face down in the dirt for a heinous massacre of which we knew nothing. Take the men, women, and children to those two houses near the river and separate them. I felt a hard pull on my shoulder and my lower waist. Get up. I said get up. I struggled to my feet and the man immediately pushed me down again. Get up, you savage. This man was toying with me trying to get me to respond in anger so he could kill me on the spot. His eyes bulged as he spoke, his body tightened as if he was ready for a fight. This man, this man wanted me dead. He just needed to have a reason to put me down. Oh, I desired to defend myself. The words I wanted to say were on the tip of my lips, but I didn't. Instead, I remained hushed as I continued to get up walk a few paces and then get shoved down again. Each time my knees scraped the ground, I experienced anger rushing in like a flood. Fortunately, that hymn, that hymn ingrained in my spirit, it pushed it out. My innocent savior died for me. Finally, I had reached the house designated for the men and was violently pushed inside. I fell to the floor landing on my shoulder and bumping my head against the opposite wall. I lay heaped in a corner, just trying to regain my bearings. Just a few minutes ago, we enjoyed being home again. 
And now we were being punished for a crime we did not commit. Just didn't make sense. Well, nothing over the last few months did. I lay down on the floor, tossing and turning while resting my head against my bleeding skull. My spirit in constant struggle. I wanted to run one minute, fight the next. I was restless. We were restless. The other men in the cabin, they fidgeted as I did. We were worried for our safety, worried about what would become of the women and children in the house next door, and angry that the colonials and British had falsely accused us. I started to hum to soothe my confused spirit. It was the only thing I felt I could do. More and more of the men joined me in a chorus of hums to the Lord. Soon we began raising our voices and singing praises and worship. We didn't know what would happen, but we knew we would end up okay on either side of eternity. We worshiped and sang through the night, the hymns carrying us beyond our worries and sustaining us due to a lack of sleep. It was then the door to the house cracked open and the morning light shined through. Standing at the entrance were four men with muskets in their hands and hatchets hanging from their pockets. Without a word or provocation, they began to fire into the house, striking the men as we sang Other colonials followed into the house. And even began scalping the fallen. Blood ran on the floor and the screams of the dying filled the room. I knew it only be a matter of time before the end. So I continued singing the hymn that brought me grace, that erased my doubts and defined me as a believer in Jesus Christ and also a member of the Lenape tribe. Our earthly home was called Janadenhutten, which means houses of grace. But I realized that I wouldn't be long before I would be going to my eternal home. And can it be long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night, Thine eyes diffused a quickening ray. I woke the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee home. If you happen to visit Janaden Hutton, Ohio, on some warm summer's day or a brisk fall day or any time of the year, and you hear a faint hymn drifting from a nearby cemetery, that's me singing songs for you, hoping and praying that you can find the everlasting peace that I found amid a storm in the two houses of grace located in the small village of
Janaden Hutton. This story was based on the Janaden Hunt Massacre of 90 Moravian Indians in Ohio in 1782. Due to their commitment to Christian pacifism, the Moravian Indians did not take sides during the Revolutionary War. This led to them being viewed with suspicion by both the British and the Colonials. As a result, the British forced them to move to Upper Sandusky, Ohio, believing that the Moravian Indians supplied the Colonial Army. It was during this time several Pennsylvanians were kidnapped and killed by Native Americans. The Pennsylvanians mistakenly blamed the Moravians and captured them when they returned home to gather crops. The Moravian Indians were sentenced to death and were brutally massacred within two houses. Before their executions, they sang hymns and praised their Lord. It was later noted that two Moravian Indian boys escaped and were able to tell what happened. I live over just a little over an hour away from this site, which some people said it's the saddest site in Ohio, and I believe it. And we had never heard this tragic piece of history. I had never heard of it. And if it wasn't for just exploring the countryside about four weeks ago, I'd still never have heard this tragic story. So I hopefully this story, it highlights the bravery of those involved and their faith, the faith that they had amongst the wrongful accusation and imprisonment. And I thought this is a great story to go along with my kind of my theme for the season two, the voices of the forgotten. I thought this is it because a lot of people have forgotten this sad story remember and honor those brave souls. Well, thank you so much for listening. I've been doing this over a year now and I love doing it every time that I do it. So thank you. I want to thank my producer, York Campbell, each and every time he produces an episode. And also, I hopefully you can visit his podcast, Poetic Earthlings. I just listened to his yesterday and he has such a mastery of descriptive language. I mean, it's a complete mastery. I was in awe. So if you have a chance, listen to his latest one. It's really, really good. He's a great dude. He really helps me out with a lot of mentoring and helps me produce all these episodes. So have a good evening. You've been listening to The Most Precious Commodity. Written by Brent Stark. You can follow him on Twitter at Most Sci-Fi. Do me a favor, please subscribe and spread the word about this show. Also, don't squander your precious time. Use it wisely. Taking out time is 3 p.m. Give generously. Those of the sort aren't interested in you when you come in, but thank you for listening. When your time is up. If you want your show produced as well, reach out to me on Twitter at 
Poetic Earthling. Brand new season, season five, is coming out later on this year. With a new season comes a new name. It's called Welcome to Earth Stories. The same show on the same feed is just with a different name. Remember, show compassion to each other. Be a good earthling. And I'll talk to you soon. Earthlings.